great job. All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. Last week, we started, we actually kicked off a brand new season. And you guys know my phrase that I like, so I'm going to have you say it with me. Say, it's a season, not a series. And uh, we, we were uh, starting that last week, but um, there, I see new faces in here today, so you might not know. But last week, I had to leave early to try to make it to a funeral at, a, uh, at our home church in Florence, which we made it. It was great. And uh, so we kind of reorganized our service. And uh, about halfway through the sermon, I just had to stop. I had a lot in me, a lot I was trying to get out, and I had to stop. So I'm going to try to uh, finish that today, um, but... In order to do that, I don't have time to set up everything I set up last week. So I'm going to give you the short version um, from a different angle. You know, sometimes preachers would say, come up the other side of the mountain. You ever heard that phrase? You know, there's different ways to get to the same same point. So I'm going to try to kind of do that and uh, encourage you all the while. And then I'm going to wrap up what I was talking about last week, which was open doors. Open doors. And how God opens doors but how also we must realize that there are times in our life where doors just open, and there are also, you know, it's cap- <laughs> the devil's capable of opening doors as well. And we have to learn and recognize, well, okay, if I want to be in God's will, if I want to be in God's plan for my life, then I need to be able to recognize what door is what. Y'all remember those game shows? And I guess there's some still now, you know, that are, you know, I don't know who watches them. I don't have time to watch daytime television and watch those. You might watch them. But, uh, you know, Price is Right and all those kinds of shows. Um, uh, I can't remember the, the other one I was just thinking of. What's the one with the zonks? Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal has doors. And you have these doors, right? And the whole point of the, the game show doors is that you don't know what's behind it. You don't know what's behind it. You don't know how, you know, they just show you, you can choose door number one and, and, and let, let's make a deal. He'll entice you. Well, I'll give you this, you know, much money or whatever if you don't choose a door, but, or you can choose two or one. And so someone will choose door two and he'll say, well, I'll give you another $1,000 to switch to door one or whatever. And he'll kind of do that. And of course, if they switch to door one uh, um, and, 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 Get, get the $1,000, that's great, or whatever it is. And he'll kind of do that. But the point is, you don't know what's behind the door. Obviously, I'm not a let's make a deal expert. I'm pretty sure I botched that whole analogy. I don't think that's exactly how it goes. Uh, maybe you can let me know afterwards exactly how to play let's make a deal. You don't know what's behind the door. And I, I think that that happens a lot of times with, with Christians, is, is we get stuck in seasons of our lives where we, we feel like, well, God just hasn't opened any doors and it doesn't seem like anything's coming my way and it doesn't seem like anything's working out. And we get in this negativity sense of things where we're just focused on our current situation and we're not even realizing, we're not even realizing uh, um, what God's trying to do and what God's actually doing and how he's working things out. And so our circumstances we allow to determine what our outcome is going to be. We allow our current circumstances to determine what our outcome will be. Um, in Proverbs 16.1, if you put that up for me, I want to read it from, yeah. So this is the new King James Version, but I'm going to read a different one to you in just a second. It says, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I like it in this translation because it ties into our theme, our season, 
that God has the final say. Here's what it says in the uh, CEV. We humans make plans. How many of you have plans? How many of you have plans today? You have plans? That, well, I, we had plans yesterday. We were going we to uh, do the car wash. Those plans got adjusted. Then we're going to go do something afterwards. We did get to do that. Then we had separate plans. But while we were out, our plans adjusted again. How many of you feel like your plans are just constantly adjusting? I'm talking about your life plans. You just feel like you just can't, you know, I don't know what's happening next. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. I hope that, that this season as we go into Easter and talk about what Jesus did on the cross. And, and then, of course, on Easter we celebrate the, the fact that not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but he's alive. He rose from the grave. He's not dead anymore. We serve a God who's very much alive. Can you say amen? amen. So here it says, we humans make plans, but the Lord has the final word. The Lord has the final word. You know, in, in life, there are too many instances that we allow to dictate to us that that situation, that problem, that instance is the final word. We, we, we for instance, if you go get a, a, um, a report from a doctor, they might tell you, well, that's the final, this is it. I mean, this is what they say. And everybody that we know, the, the statistics show this, and this is going to be the result. It might be whatever the negative repercussion is. You know, your life may end early or whatever the doctor may say. I remember right after Kaylee was born, as you heard earlier, that's our firstborn. So we didn't know much about parenting. We didn't know much about hospitals. We didn't know much about how, how all that stuff worked. And uh, having, you know, when I say we didn't know much about hospitals, I'm talking about like, you know, the, the, the uh, side of, of having a baby in the hospital and how long you're supposed to stay and what, what the processes are. And they came back and said, oh, well, she failed her hearing test. Well, as a parent, that's not what you want to hear. Can you say amen? That's not, that's not the result you want to hear. And what happens, I remember vividly. Now, I'm working at a church. I'm reading the Bible daily. I'm going to prayer meetings every week. I'm, uh, we were, me, my wife and I were leading the young adults, so I was preaching a couple times a month. And in doing all of that, I was definitely a faith person, but I can tell you what happened when the doctor said that. My mind began racing. My mind began running. Well, what does that mean? What does that, you know, uh, 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 you know uh, hold on now. Uh, you know, and they just say it flippantly. Well, she felt her hearing test, you know, like, like they're reading the weather. Well, it's 72 degrees today. And, you know, I'm like, I, I, sorry, what? What? What did you say? So you get this information, and then what do you do with it? What do you do with it? You know, the Bible says something interesting. It says, whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. Well, what's the report of the Lord? In God's word, throughout, Old Testament and New. Now, we're New Testament believers, but when we look at uh, the promises that God's outlined to us, you know, the Bible says his promises are yes and amen. So we, we know, all right, I, this might sound crazy to you. I may, I may not know specifically what's behind doors, but I know what's behind those doors. I'm not surprised about what's behind door one, two, three, or four. All I need to know is that if God shows me which door to go through, on the other side of that door is blessing. On the other side of that door is prosperity. On the other side of that door is healing. Yeah, you can clap. That's what it's all about, is that if I walk by faith and not by sight, every, I don't have to worry about, oh, I don't, 
I don't know. So when I get this report about Kaylee, you know, that's what happened in my head up here. Brother uh, Kenneth Hagin, who, uh, you know, we love and, and, and are very connected to him and his, his ministries. Of course, he went on to be with the Lord. But he had this statement that I love. He said, you know, you cannot stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. You, you, you can't, in other words, you can't stop the thoughts, but you can control whether you're going to stay there or not. You control you. Your spirit, you are a spirit, you control you. So you can say, no, I'm not going to stay there. That's what I had to do. I had to encourage my wife. I had to encourage her. No, it's going to be all right. She'll pass the next test. And they said, yeah, we'll retest her on such and such day or whatever. My wife had to go back up there. And, you know, from the time we got the report to the time, I mean, she's a day old. It's not like we can ask her, you know, how you feeling? You feeling any better? You doing all right? How's your ears? You doing okay? I mean, we have no idea. We're just going by faith. We're walking this thing out. You know, I mean, you know, every, every time she'd cry, the, your mind starts turning. Well, is that because her ears hurt? Is that because there's something wrong? So you don't, let me give you a little, a little piece of advice. The Bible says in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of your tongue. And too many of us allow what's in our head to then come out of our mouth. I thank God I never said what was in my head. What came out of my mouth was life. You know, you can, just the same way you'd paint a canvas, you can paint your world with your words. If you want to know where you're going to be in five years, look at what you're talking about your life right now. Well, I'll never make it. I'll never be there. I'll never get this. I'll never do that. And your words are forming your world. I never let that happen. I, I thank God I didn't. And you might be thinking, well, I have situations like that where I have said those things. What do I do, Pastor? You know, this might sound funny, but pray for crop failure. Let me explain what that means. When you... The Bible says everything we do in our life is a seed. So if you think about seed, there are t sometimes you sow seed and you know there's a harvest coming back. A harvest is a crop. Well, sometimes you, Lord, forgive me for saying that. Lord, I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was saying. Lord, I, I ask you, Lord, don't let what I confessed about that situation actually come to pass. Lord, I'm going to change what I'm saying. I'm going to change what I'm doing. I'm going to change how I'm walking. I'm going to change what I'm believing. And out of my mouth from this day forward is going to come faith. I'm going to declare your word over my life. I'm going to declare your words over my, my family. And that's what I'm going to believe and stand on. God, forgive me for whatever I said before. Lord, I don't believe that anymore. I believe this. And you ask God to just forgive you for that. You know, that's actually what repentance is. Is this going back to where you missed it? Going back to where you were wrong? Going back and saying, God, this is where I blew it, and I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to change it going forward. So long story short, we get back to the, uh, or I didn't go, if I remember correctly, I didn't go to that appointment the second time. Uh, Natalie went, she took Kaylee, and passed with flying colors. Well, you know, there, who knows? Maybe the first test failed. Maybe the first test, you know, maybe there was something wrong. You know, I don't really care. That might sound interesting to you. I don't actually care whether there was something wrong and, and she got healed between, what, it was like two days later, between those two days or three days. I don't care. I don't really care whether maybe there was uh, nothing wrong the whole time and the test was bad. Maybe they read the report wrong. Maybe the, the, the printer that printed it out printed somebody else's report and put Kaylee's name on it. I really could care less. You don't want to know what I care about? 
Right now, I have a pretty little six-year-old girl in there who has perfect hearing, who hears fine. She plays piano because she can hear the music and play along with it, and that's what I care about. I don't really care how, sometimes we get so infatuated with, how's God going to get me there? Again, you want to know what's behind the door before it even opens. You want to know, how am I going to get from from A to Z when you should be worrying about what's B? What's the next step? God, what can I do right now? How can I get from, from today to tomorrow? If you're drowning in debt, drowning in financial, just, I mean, you feel so I'm trying to use a different word other than the drowning, but that's the only thing I can think to describe what I sense someone in here today is dealing with. You, you are literally just trying to tread water and get a little bit of air because you're drowning with the debt. You might be thinking, well, how do I get from that to prosperity? I mean, pastor's talking about giving. I can't even think about giving because, I mean, every, every day debt collectors are calling. Every day I'm, 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 I'm so pressed I want to give, I want to obey God's word, but I can't even think about that because of all the pressure of this debt. Let me, let me, I already gave you one piece of advice, not advice, but one piece of instruction from God's word. Fix how you're talking. I'm going to get out of this debt. God's going to give me what I need. I'm going to see how to do it. You know, I heard a story yesterday. I'm going to, I'm going to go further with that, but let me give you a story that might help you because sometimes it's good to hear other stories. There's this family um, in Texas, and they were believing God to have kids. So they're believing God to have kids, and they go through, um, uh, I forget the name of the, the procedure or whatever, but have, you know, fertil- fertility help. And they, they have all that happen and end up with triplets. So you go from not having kids, not being able to have kids, go, struggling with having kids, now you're having triplets. Well, they, they're excited, they start celebrating, and she gets into the second trimester, just barely into the second trimester, some complications come, and then she had to have the babies early. Well, in the second trimester, you're, you're months away, months away from being able to, to uh, uh, you know, what, I forget how many weeks, what, how many weeks is it you're supposed to go before, 40 is the total, but what's the, like, once you make it like 30, is it 36 where they're like, 36 to 37, where they're like, you know, even if you had the baby three weeks earlier, they're pretty good. Okay, she's like 10 weeks earlier than that. Neonatal care, I mean, life support, barely making it. I mean, you know, I mean, believe in God every day. Well, praise God, after I forget how many months, the, the, the babies continue to grow, continue to thrive, and do well. And then eventually come home. And, and, and so God performed that miracle and performed the, 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 what they were believing for, and they were able to take their little babies home. Well, that's great, but then a few months later, they get a bill for $2 million. $2 million. Not $2,000, $2 million. Come to find out their insurance which they had only covered up to a certain uh, point. It's called a cap. And after that, it wouldn't cover anymore. So it covered a couple hundred thousand. And after that, because it took so long and it was three children, it became millions of dollars, over $2 million. Well, you've got a choice. That, I mean, you know, if, 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 and thank God this family was a faith family. And so they, they began focusing on, well, if God gave us the babies, 
If God did that miracle, he can do this one. He's a police officer. She's in the education system. Well, you can believe for raises. <laughs> you can believe for bonuses. There's only, there's only so much in those two fields that are going to help you. I mean, it's just the, 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 the fact of the matter. So you need supernatural help at that point. You need super, and, and, and I, I, I've, I've had debt. I've had, you know, a lot, what I consider to be a lot of debt. I've never had millions of dollars of debt. I can't imagine the pressure they were in. I've had debt collectors call me, you know, and they were calling me. I mean, I had like a credit card one time that was like $6,000 years ago. I remember how that felt. The pressure I felt for six, I cannot imagine. <laughs> yeah, how you doing today? Just checking on that $2.1 million balance you have. Are you making your minimum payment of 300000 You know, whatever. I don't know what the minimum payment was. They should start really believing God. Now, here's what's amazing. Is they chose to take their faith and connect their mouth with what they believed. So if God did the miracle with the babies, gave us the babies, kept them alive, we have them in our home, every time they looked at those babies, they saw God's miracle work and power. And so they said, if God did that, he'll do this. He'll take care of this bill. He'll take care of these finances. And here's what I want to tell you. When I say God has the final word, this is how quickly it can happen. The hospital called them and said, we've never done this before. But for you, some situations have changed, and we are going to wipe out the $2 million debt. Now, if God can wipe out a $2 million debt, he can take care of you. He can take care of you. Don't get infatuated with how, how's it going to happen. Maybe it's not a miracle phone call from the hospital. Maybe it's some other way that, that, that the money comes into your life and then now all of a sudden you have money. Maybe God does show you how to miraculously budget your life and you're able to figure out how to use Dave Ramsey's debt snowball or whatever you want to use and, and pay off the debt. However you get there, I want you to say this, say I'm getting there. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say I'm getting there. God's going to take me there. Say this way. Say God has the final say. God has the final say in your life. And if you will connect God's word to your mouth and say, you know what? The doors that are going to open in my life, God's going to show me the right ones to walk through. He's going to show me how to get there. He's going to show me. He's going to make it plain to me. And when I walk through those doors, the only thing I will be able to say and the people around me will be able to say is God did that. You, you, know, you know why God does things a little bit out of ordinary sometimes? Because he wants the credit. He wants the credit. He, he wants to be able, want you to be able to say, you know what? You, you know why I'm debt free? Because God did it. Because I serve the Lord. Because I love him with all my heart. Because I, I, uh, I, I take everything in my life and bless him with it. I seek first the kingdom of God. And you know what? He honors his word. Some of us, we, we, we honor God with just a piece. Just a piece of our life. Like some of us are really good at giving God our time, but we don't give other things. Or we, you know, the Bible says in Isaiah, be willing, y'all know the other part, and obedient. Some of us are obedient and not willing. God, I'm, I'm, I'm believing for you to, to, to open this door. Feels like the door is shut. Feel like there's no opportunity for growth. I'm believing for you to open it. And God's saying, yeah, 
um, I need you to go back to school, and that'll be no problem. And, and then you say, okay, well, go back to school. Well, how can I go back to school? I mean, I don't have the money to go back to school. I don't have, the, and, and see what's happening is, is immediately as God gives you a piece of instruction, you start discounting what he's able to do. Oh, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, well, I know, first of all, I'm not smart enough, God. Like God knows, if God told you to go back to school, flip it, go back to school. He'll work it out. He'll give you one of those easy schools, the ones that you can kind of breeze through with the nice teachers. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. You want those professors that help you out, slip you a little, you know, you know, you know you didn't do good enough and you're, you're scared. You're like, oh, I know I'm going to get a C. And then you look at it and you're like, B plus, how do I get a B plus? Because she likes you. It's called favor. God will give you that or he'll give you the money. To, 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 you know, if you're worried about, well, how can I pay for school? God will give you the money. You know, if you just say yes to what God gives you instructions to do and say yes like you mean it and not just be, oh, 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 oh God, I'll do whatever, but actually obey it. Now, all right, God, I'll do it. Show me which school. And you start walking out the process. You cannot steer a parked car. You have to start moving toward what God has for you in your life and then let him lead you where he's taking you. Come on, say Amen. God has plans for you. Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 29, 11, I have, I have plans for you. You know what kind of plans God has? This is uh, not in my notes, guys, but if you're able to put Jeremiah 29, 11, put it up there. I want to read this straight from the word. Jeremiah 29, 11. The good thing about digital Bibles, you are faster than me today. Good job. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Don't let your hope die based on your circumstances. Don't let your hope die before you even start. Don't let your hope die before you even, even get going. I'm going to stay there for me on the screens. I'm going to read you another, another verse. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, this is where I wanted to go anyways, or one of the places I wanted to go today. We're going to go there right now. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, we call it an epistle, when he wrote this letter to the, Corinthian, or to the Philippian church, he's writing it from jail. I don't want to ask you to raise your hands just in case, you know, I don't think anybody in this room has been incarcerated. But if you have, I don't think that it's the most joyous place. I've never been incarcerated. But whenever I see mugshots, they don't look very happy. I don't see a lot of joy on their face unless they're cray-cray. That's what the kids call crazy, for those of you that weren't catching on. You know, unless they're like, you know, out of their mind and they're smiling because they don't realize what's happening. I don't know. You just see people, they're miserable. They say, most theologians agree, that this was Paul's most joyous letter. And he wrote it from prison, from a prison cell. Now, when they locked up Paul, look at it in the Bible, they meant business with Paul. When they put him in jail, like he, he, he wasn't, it was only by miracles that he got out. But look at verse 19. Philippians 1.19. For I know... For I know, Paul said, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation 
and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. You know what he's saying? This is how, this is how cool Paul was. He literally told the soldiers, because, I mean, what, what can you do to a guy? You go in and you're trying to terrorize your, you know, I'm talking about if you're the, if you're the, the soldiers who are in the prison and you're trying to terrorize the inmate, you're trying to terrorize Paul. And you go in and say, you know, we'll kill you. And he says, okay, good. Then I'll fulfill my ultimate goal to be with my Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. When are we doing it? This is, I, mean, that's, I mean, it's a little paraphrase, but that's basically what he said. I mean, I'm, I'm, wa- I'm waiting on what God's promises are. I'm going to heaven either way. So he says in this verse, in life or death, I'm going to be glorified. God's going to, or God's going to be glorified. God's going to get the glory. There's going to be glory come out of whatever happens to me. So he's got joy. He's got an expectation, he said. I've got an expectation that whatever comes my way, I'm coming out of it. You know, Paul's the type of dude, when he was shipwrecked, and within minutes of being shipwrecked, was in the palace on the island he got shipwrecked on. By the way, he was captive on the ship. The dude was old at the time. He gets shipwrecked, and they were cold, and he's gathering sticks for a fire. Like in old age. That's the kind of dude he was. So he's gathering sticks for the fire, and then a, a snake bites him, and they think, oh, oh, he's got devils if the snake's biting him. And he looks at the snake, shakes it off in the fire, and it was a snake that should have killed him. He doesn't die. And then, so they, they're one minute calling him the devil, and the next minute they're going, oh, he's a god. And then a few minutes after that, he's literally in the palace of the king. I mean, the guy had an expectation that wherever I go and whatever I do, the power that's in me is greater than what's around me. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is because in his jail cell, Paul was determined not to make his setting, his setting determine his, what he was saying and determine what his outcome would be. You can put me in a jail, but I'm coming out. You, you can lock me up, but God's got a way out. You can do whatever you want to do to me, but there is freedom on the other side. Everybody say, God has the final say. For me to live, verse 21, is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. He goes on to talk about how, uh, um, you know, to live is, uh, to live Basically, he's saying, if I live, it would be better for you. But if I die, it would be great for me. And so he says, at the end of it, I choose to live. When, when we talk about, I want to kind of shift gears now and, and start talking about what, what our transition into where I was last week. How do I know God has opened the door? Because I've talked a lot about, okay, all right, Pastor, I, I'm with you. God has the final say. I believe he'll open doors in my life. But as I pointed out last week, there are several opportunities. You have, yes, doors that God opens. But then you also have doors that the devil could open. He has the capability to present you with opportunities in your life. When Satan tempted Jesus, what did he do? He took him up 
one of the temptations was he took him up and said, I'll give you everything you see, every kingdom on this earth, if you bow down and worship me. Now, how could Satan say that to Jesus? The New Testament tells us that Satan is the God of this earth. And until Jesus comes back, binds him up, and casts casts him where he's going to spend eternity, we deal with that as opposition. But here's the good news. As I've already quoted like six times today, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Who's in the world? Satan and his cohorts. But they're no big deal. If if a, if a witch hunt thing or a, a Satan convention or whatever came to Columbia, well, Pastor, we need to pray. You know, I actually wouldn't spend any time praying about it. It's not worth my time. Satan's under my feet. They're probably only going to have about 30 people that go anyways. And those people are probably confused or obviously confused. So what am I trying to tell you? That Satan, his whole goal is to confuse you, confound you, and make you focused on your setting. And and in doing so, you'll lose sight of where God's taking you. Everybody say, God's taking me somewhere. Okay, how do I know God has opened a door? As I said last week, we know it would not be a door that the devil would open. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 8 and 9, Paul said, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effective door has opened to to me and there are many adversaries. So he's saying there are many adversaries here, but yet God's opened a door for me. And because he has, I know this is what I need to do. I need to stay here in Ephesus until the day of Pentecost. Now, why would he do that? Because God opened a door and obviously it's not a door that the devil would. The devil doesn't want you to. Do you think he wanted Paul to preach? How many times did the devil try to kill Paul? You notice, before Paul got saved and knocked off his horse, he was going around persecuting and killing Christians. Never had issues then. Then he starts not just serving God, but radicalizing the Christian community, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and the devil tried to kill him every chance he could. So he recognized the fact that if the devil gives you an opportunity, it's not going to be to do something for God. It's actually pretty simple to think about. And this is what happens to Christians is they'll get an opportunity to do something for God, do something for God's kingdom, and, and then they have to pray about it. I have to figure out, well, maybe, is that God? I don't know. Today, after the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity to do a ushers and greeters. It's an ushers and greeters meeting. Well, we're, we're not just meeting with those who are currently ushers and greeters. We're looking for new people. This is an opportunity for you to get plugged in. By the way, we're down with women ushers. If you want to serve God, we've got opportunities to serve God. And that's just one. There's plenty of opportunities. We've got outreaches that we're going to do uh, um, uh, um, to to invite people to Easter and Easter outreaches. We're doing all kinds of stuff. I'm just using that as an example. Because somebody will say, oh, well, I know that's an opportunity, but I need to really pray about that. What do you need to pray about? Shaking someone's hand and saying, hey, welcome to Family Worship Center. So glad you came today. Like, it's, it's not that hard. If there's an opportunity for me to serve God, I'm jumping on it. I was joking last week. I said, if, if the opportunity came for me to go 
uh, preach in a, in a jail or whatever around here. I'm not, I'm always open to the Spirit of God leading me. If there was really some reason not to go, I know God would keep me safe, but I'm going. I'm called to preach. I know that's what I'm supposed to do. What, is, what are it, it, every single one of us called to do? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And we'll let little things keep us out of, 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 a, of a door that God's opened. You know why you serve God? There's blessing in, you know, the Bible says what you make happen for others, he'll make happen for you. People make a decision about church, whether they like the church or whether they'll come back in the first eight minutes. Especially that was a, a pre-COVID statistic, so it might even be less than that now. So the people smiling at the door, opening the door, helping with umbrellas, doing all stuff like that, you actually make the greatest impact in someone deciding whether their church will be their home than I do. If, if they showed up during the worship service, the, the praise team and band, they might have a little bit of an impact on that. But you know, they're, they're, the smiling faces at the door, I bet if I took a poll of everybody in here, you might not remember what I preached the first Sunday, but you remember how you felt. Man, I felt, I felt loved. I felt, I felt like I was part of the family. It didn't matter the color of my skin. It didn't matter what age I was. I just, I felt great going in. There was a great spirit in the place. Well, that matters. People don't always come in spiritually. They usually come in naturally. They come in in the natural. Okay, so what is one way we know it would not be a door the devil would open? Number two, this is where I ended last week. I have peace that passes understanding. So when we talk about God having the final say, you have to have peace right now. How do I get that? I'm going to tell you in a second. But you have to have peace that passes understanding. And you, and you look for that, and that peace is what guides your life. Everybody say, I'm a spirit. I'm a spirit. I, live a I live in a body. I have a soul. I have a soul. So your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. But you live in a body. That's your flesh. Your flesh is not what guides you. Your flesh is not what's to lead you, to show you what to do. Your flesh will lead you usually in the wrong direction. Your flesh will tell you when you get up on Sunday morning to go to church, I'm tired. A couple weeks ago when the time change happened, man, my flesh wanted nothing to do with going to church. Anybody else? Okay, well, I'm glad y'all are all saved and sanctified and, and daylight savings doesn't, doesn't bother you. It bothered me, man. I was not, I was, I'm, I'm the preacher. I got to go and I didn't want to go. It wasn't, that's my flesh. But my heart, my spirit, the, the inner man is saying, I can't wait to go. I can't wait to be in the house of God. I can't wait. And so you have to learn to be led by your spirit. So when I'm talking about having peace that passes understanding, that's what I'm talking about. What is your soul? Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. So that's where your understanding comes in. And so, again, let's go back to my analogy about if God tells you to go back to school. So you're believing God for a new job. You're believing God for increase. And, and, and you know in your heart, I need to go back to school. And God says, okay, go and do it. Your understanding says, I can't. But on the inside, it says, the, your spirit says, you can. 
You, you can do all things through Christ. God told you to do it. In whom God calls, he equips. He's got a way for you to make it. He's got a way for you to get through it. He's going to show you the right school. He's going to show you how to overcome. He's going to show you how to overcome. You don't have a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. What's happening literally right now, this very second? Out of my spirit is coming something in me that my flesh doesn't want to hear. That my flesh doesn't have. It's in me. It's God's word in me. It's his spirit coming alive in me. In the Bible, it uses the word dunamis to talk about God's power. Dunamis. It's the same word where we get dynamite. What does dynamite do? Blows up buildings. I was talking to a guy that makes granite the other day. And he was talking about how now they have these diamond cutters and they cut the, the uh, marble and all that. And they literally take these diamond cutters and they, they turn them. Um, and, and it makes the like, nice like, countertops and stuff that we have. But there's certain cheaper rock that they don't do that with because that's expensive. They just blow it up. And you can actually walk around a granite park and you can see what was cut and what was blown up because it has jagged edges. Dynamite is powerful. It blows stuff up. And the power that's in you is greater than what you have in your flesh and in your mind. If you'll lean into the power in you, you'll actually see come out of you something you didn't even know you had. You'll see results you didn't even know you were capable of. Not because you, your, your flesh part of you, are anything special, but the power in you is greater. Come on, everybody, say greater. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. You know, that's a command. We are actually commanded not to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. There's no reason for you to be anxious. Nothing in your life that should cause you to be anxious. No, you should not allow anything to create anxiety in your life. Well, I've been diagnosed with anxiety. Again, I ask you, whose report are you going to believe? I'm not saying it's not a real diagnosis. I'm not saying the medication they gave you doesn't help you. I'm saying, do you want to live your whole life bound by something the devil put in your life that God told you not to have and be bound to medication that they, they told you you have to have? Or do you lean on God's healing power and say, I'm not going to be anxious? I know that I may right now have to take this medicine, but I'm not going to take it anymore. I may be in a jail cell just like Paul, a jail cell of anxiety, a jail cell of, 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 of tumultuous pressure that I don't even know where it comes from. And I feel like I just want to go and cry in the bed at night and sink into nothing and not do anything with my life. But that's not who I'm going to be. That's not whom God called me to be. That's, let it come out of you. How does that... Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Right now, you feel like you can take on the world because I'm preaching faith into you. I've quoted a hundred different scriptures and I'm putting faith in you and it's building up. Your job throughout the week is to keep that in you. Keep repeating scripture. Keep energizing. David, the Bible says King David encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Don't let your, what looks like a jail cell, God can melt iron bars. bars. He, can, he can break chains off. Kaylee, not to keep using her for analogies, but here we go. Kaylee, uh, on Friday, she wasn't feeling well. And I meant to pray for her before she left for school. She wasn't like sick, 
but she just, she just wasn't herself. You know, sometimes you can tell they're like, she didn't have fever. We wouldn't send the kids to school like that, but it just was not, something wasn't right, you know? And so she came home, and uh, my wife sent me a picture. She was like asleep at like 3 o'clock in the school, you know? She's like, uh, I think she just needs to rest. So, so we took her home, and when I got home, I finally, the Bible says to lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So I did that. I laid hands on her and uh, prayed over her. Well, uh, like an hour later, she jumps out of bed. She's herself. She's doing chores. She's getting around the house. I'm like, this is awesome. Praise God. We come to find out my wife had also given her some medicine, which I'm fine with. You know, I believe however you get the miracle. But, you know, and again, your mind starts running. I start thinking, well, was it the medicine or was it my prayer? So Saturday morning rolls around. And uh, I don't know any other parents in here, but. I bought a king-size bed for me and my wife, not realizing it was for me and my wife and our three kids. Especially on Saturday mornings. So I wake up and all three of our kids are in the bed. And they all seem to be in good moods, but then all of a sudden, Kaylee starts saying, my throat hurts. My mouth hurts. I don't want, you know. And she began to look like she did the day before. And so I said, all right, um, you know, and, and we, talk, we actually both talked about, okay, well, we could give her some medicine. I said, you know what? I said, not that I'm against the medicine, but I want to believe God on this one. I want to believe God on this. Let's just believe God. Now, I'm not telling y'all not to take medicine. I'm not being, I'm not a doctor. I'm telling you that God is bigger than medicine. And this is where my faith was at yesterday morning. As I laid my hands on her, I prayed. And then as I'm praying, the Lord says, she needs to confess. Now, that was real interesting to me because, you know, we've prayed for our kids now for six years and I've. Never had God tell me that. But a couple months back, Kaylee accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. She's saved. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, she needs to start exercising what you've been teaching her. And so I get done praying. I said, now, Kaylee, I want you to say this. I want you to say this. And I began to, uh, con- teaching her to confess God's word. I, be- I just taught her what God's word says. Here's what it says. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. This sickness is not of God. It needs to leave my body. I'm healed. Sickness has got to go. I'm going to feel better. I told her to say this. I'm going to feel better every moment or every minute until I'm um, back to normal. And just had her confess that. So we got up. We got going. Because then I know, okay, well, you're going to just lay there. You've got to get going. So I try to get everybody, get the family going. We get going. We're making breakfast, doing different stuff. Again, I had the whole car wash debacle. So I'm dealing with all that. Uh, but every time she would complain, I'd say, hold on, Kaylee. Confess God's word. Now, as a parent, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let y'all in on what was in my head. I didn't let it come out of my mouth. But in my head, I'm going, Lord, if you don't heal this little girl, this is going to potentially wreck her faith. I'm, as much as I'm telling her to trust in you, I'm trusting in you. I'm about to have to leave this house, go take care of this car wash, and when I come back, She's going to be well. I'm believing. I'm trusting in you. I'm not going to come back to a, a, a little girl that's confused at why she keeps feeling worse when I'm telling her to confess God's word that she's going to be better. Well, I tell y'all, I came back and she's because ba- we had canceled the car wash. So now we, we have opportunity to do some. We were going to do something fun yesterday and stuff like that because we don't have the car wash. She's bouncing off the walls. She's back to her normal self. Never took any medicine. And God totally healed whatever was potentially in her body. God totally healed it. God totally turned it around. I'm telling y'all, God 
has the final say. You don't have to worry about what God is, I mean, what the devil has done in your life, what you think is going to happen, what, you, what has been presented to you as the ultimate, you know, end all, be all. God has the final say. He is bigger than cancer. He's bigger than sickness. He's bigger than disease. He's bigger than poverty. He's bigger than lack. He's, everybody say, he's bigger. The other way you know, another way that you know that God opens doors is if he speaks. When God speaks you to do something, I've already kind of been over this one, you listen. He'll speak to you directly, or he'll speak to you sometimes through men and women of God. I don't have a time to go over a whole message on how God speaks, that's for another day. But in Psalms, in the book of Psalms, the, the 143rd Psalm, verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. When God speaks, obey quickly and happily. Romans 8, 6, letting your, uh, letting, this is the NLT, I like this. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Romans 8, 6. See, these are things in the Bible you don't hear in every church, but we teach them here. To be, see, the King James says to be, that's fine. There you go. Good job, guys. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. What's your sinful nature? Your flesh. And when you let it control your mind, it leads to death. But then notice this part. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Okay, pastor, that's great, but how does that happen? I already told you, you are spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit reside? We'll look at Romans 8, 14 to 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For His Spirit joins with our spirit. Are you able to put up verse 16? For His Spirit joins with, look at that, capital S. Oh, it's all caps on the screen. In your Bible, you'll see that the first spirit that's listed is a capital S. The Holy Spirit. He joins with our spirit, little s. See, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I just am a spirit, little s. But inside of me, in my innermost being, the Bible says in Proverbs, the the heart of man is the candle of the Lord. He lights me up on the inside. It's my flashlight that illuminates the good parts of my life and what God wants to do in my life. My little spirit, little s spirit, is full of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that same dunamis power, that dynamite power I was talking about a few minutes ago, that is on the inside. Now go back to 8.6. So letting my sinful nature control my mind leads to what? Death. Now before you get all worried, the Bible does tell us in another place that the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? There's a a spiritual death, a a cutting off that happens from sin. That's what they're saying. Your sinful nature is going to result. There are things that happen when you don't listen to God. Some people blame everything on God. Blame all their problems on God. And I'll be honest with you, I hate it when preachers do it. They'll get up and they'll say, oh, well, you know, that... That situation you're in, and they're trying to to preach a sermon to encourage people, but they say it in such a way 
that puts all the problem as if God did it. So they'll say something like, you know, well, uh, all that debt, God has you there to teach you a lesson. Well, hold on now. Did God swipe that credit card? Did God go on that shopping spree in 2003 on Black Friday? When that dude had broken up with me and I, I just, I, 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 you know, I'm going to talk about me personally. I've only been with women. Amen. I was, in my analogy in my head, I was, I was a woman. <laughs> just thought I'd clarify, you know. This is an, <laughs> this is an analogy. This is a story. <laughs> All right. Well, that kind of ruined that one. God didn't spend that money. God didn't do it. You did. Your nature did it. But here's the best part. Romans, while we're in Romans, two chapters later in Romans 8, verse 28, God works all things for the good. God works all things for the good. Will you put that verse up for me, guys? God works all things for the good. Just look to your neighbor and tell him, God's working it out. God's working it out. He's working for you. He's working on your behalf. He's working. Even when you can't see him, he's working. Now, notice what this says. Because a lot of times we only quote the part I just said. But look at the whole scripture. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Of who? Of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, in John 14, it says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. There needs to be an obedience. So when God speaks to you, that's how, uh, how, again, number three, how do you know God will, is, is opening something up in your life? God speaks to you. And number four, I've also kind of hit this one. There are kingdom benefits. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There again, we're told not to worry, not to be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow. So if there's a, a, a kingdom benefit to a door that's open in your life, you can be confident that's a God door. So going back to number two, peace that passes understanding. I want to encourage you to follow peace. And stand on this promise of God having the final say. God having the final say. The reason that we're using this theme this, this time of the year is we're getting up, uh, up to Easter in a few weeks. I'm excited about Easter. I'm excited about the two services we're going to have. I'm excited about the people that are going to come in this room. And the kids that are going to be out there doing an Easter egg hunt. Because they're not only doing an Easter egg hunt, they're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to hear about our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, but then died on the cross for me. And because he died on the cross for me, I get to have eternal life with him. Because he has the final say. Here's the thing. Is is a lot of times we want to have our say instead of his say. And so out of our mouth comes, well, that'll never happen. Well, that's not, you're, you're confessing a different say than what's he, what he's already said. God had the final say. Satan thought he was killing Jesus uh, by putting him on the cross. Not only did he, did he kill him, he actually solidified the whole thing. 
The Bible says if Satan had realized what he was doing, he wouldn't have done it. Because God had the final say. God's working things out on your behalf. God's working things out behind the scenes. God's, God's orchestrating things you don't even know he's doing. He's ahead of you when you don't even realize. You know, when we, when we open up this church, man, the, the things that we needed were already in place. We, 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 we wanted a space like this. Now we're, now we're in the phase where we're believing God for a, a permanent building, something more permanent where we don't have to load in and out and do everything we have to do here. Well, that's where we are today, but back then that's not where we were. Amen? And so, well, I don't have time, but the, the, it just fell into place. You know, God was ahead of us making this happen. The, the, the chairs you're sitting in, miraculous story. A pastor in Georgia calls me, says, I got 100 chairs, you want them? Yep. God was ahead of us. He didn't know until I announced on social media that we were starting the church. He didn't know. But he had the chairs. He said, they're sitting here. They're already ready for you. I've already got new ones. I didn't know what to do with this. Now I know. God has things ahead of you, lined up ahead of you. If you'll just follow the leading of your spirit and step in by faith, step into what God has for you. Don't, don't get the jail cell that you feel like you're in. First of all, don't paint a picture it's not. It's probably not even a jail cell. But you've made it into one. And that's good. Holy Spirit just dropped that in my heart. Some people in here today aren't even in a jail cell, but they've made it one. You've painted a facade of something that's not even reality. So, something so easy for God to take care of, like that. I think $2 million is nothing. That, that couple, man, like that one phone call. You might like or not like Joel Osteen. But, you know, he's a pretty popular guy. And he's, they're in the building that a professional basketball team had. And when it came available, the, the story's pretty crazy how God worked it all out. But they had to have a vote from the city to get in there. And uh, at the end of the whole deal, it was like a year and a half process, they had, they had enough votes, but there was a guy that was getting so much pressure to, 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 to vote, he was going to vote for uh, Lakewood Church, but, but he was getting so much pressure, he decided to go out of town on the day of the vote, which is an absentee vote, which is basically a no. And so now they were one vote short. And so Joel says, okay, well, I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't have anything to lose. So he started going around, and he went to a, a certain guy that had been against them the whole time. Now Joel's on last-ditch effort. This is what I'm telling y'all. God's ahead. He's out ahead of you working things out. And he walks in, and the guy says, hold on, before you even start, I'm going to vote for you tomorrow. Well, Joel's like surprised. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You can come up. I'm close. He says, what are you talking about? What, what, do you, what, what changed? And he said, I had a lady call me that I, I know dearly, that I listen to, that I value her opinion. And she called me and said, listen to me. God wants them to have that building and you're to vote for them. Now, Joel had tried everything. He had gone in, given gifts, given great speeches, done everything he had tried to do and on the day before the vote was supposed to come to pass, somebody he had never met that he didn't know and as far as I can tell from the story he told, still doesn't know who she is, made one phone call 
And before he even went in to plead his final case, God flipped it. God made it work out. And if you've ever seen their church, they're in a massive 20,000-seater church in Houston, Texas. They used to be something, the Bible says that, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And what used to be used for, I'm not against the NBA, but it definitely wasn't, a, you know, it's not a godly thing. It's just a sport. What used to be used for that, now the word is preached. And global messages come out every day because God worked something out and he had the faith to walk through it. I'm telling y'all, God is working things out. He has the final say. Don't let anybody around you tell you, no, no, no. Don't let their words tell you that you can't make it. You're not good enough. You're not gonna, you're not gonna come through. That is not the final say. What I'm in today is not the final say. God has the final say. God is for me and not against me. And what he's working out, come on, what he's working out, you know the Bible says that when God opens the door, no man can shut it. I know I was talking about salvation, but if he can do it with salvation, he can do it with any door. I believe that. When God opens a door, I, I know. See, I, part of the reason I'm preaching this, just to be transparent with you, there, I, we have a similar situation. And I can't wait to tell you the, the, the testimony of how, man, in the natural, sometimes I thought we'd never get a building. In the natural. But I, 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 I don't talk like that. I've said for how many years, Brother Mike? We're going to be in a building. We're going to be in a great building. God, give us this one or one better. Because I'm, I'm not going to believe God for a little. I'm believing God for better. I'm, I'm believing God for bigger. I'm believing God for more than enough. And we're in a situation right now where all, I just need God to open the door. I just need him to open the door. I believe it's the right door. I believe it's the one. And it looks like it's sealed tight. Looks like it's got the, you know, you've seen those houses where they put the extra deadbolts on them? You know, multiple deadbolts. That's what it looks like in the natural. But you know what the Bible says? I'm going to read you one more verse. Ready? This is great. Matthew 16, 19. Matthew 16, 19, you know what it says? God gives us the keys to the kingdom. God's got every key to every door, to every lock, to everything the devil tried to shut in your face, to everything the devil tried to tell you you can't have, to everything that you, if somebody told you you're not good enough, you're not gonna make it, no, I am good enough. God is for me and not against me. He's on my side. He's gonna help me. He's my helper. He's my, he's the, 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 my shield. He's the one that I can run into. The Bible says that he's the safe place that I can run into and that he's the one. You know what El Shaddai means? He's the many-breasted one. He's the God of more than enough. He's got more than enough for you and you and you and you and me. Everybody stand up for me. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word.